Hello, this is Nick Holland for Information Security Media Group. And I'm joined today by John Petrie, who is the CEO of Americas for NTT Security, and also Frank Negro, who's the global consulting practice leader for NTT Data. So gentlemen, thank you for joining me. So, so folks, we, we had a fascinating uh, roundtable discussion a couple of weeks ago on the confessions of a healthcare CISO. So we had a dinner in Chicago. It's very well attended, uh, very frank discussion, covered a lot of ground there. So one of the main topics was how the role of a healthcare CISO is changing. So could could either of you or both of you maybe provide some thoughts on that? And I'll, I'll go with John first, if that's okay. Yeah, certainly uh, the role is, is changing. Um, I think uh, the concerns that we heard uh, was around how do we, how do we as uh, healthcare CISOs engage the uh, C-suite and, and the board of directors um, on uh, issues around, uh, around uh, information security and cybersecurity as it affects the healthcare business itself, and then more importantly, with the boards of directors having uh, fiduciary responsibilities now the importance of a CISO in that, in that vertical market to be more business-oriented and understand how to bubble up the information security issues from a technical perspective into business terms is absolutely essential. So the, the role of the CISO now is moving, in, at least in my view, from more of a, a technical specialist in, into a part of the business and, and the business acumen of those CISOs has to uh, increase and, and in some cases improve. Uh, Frank, over to you. John, I, I agree with you entirely, uh, right? The, the work that we've been doing as information security professionals over the last five years or so to teach our leaders in the organization that security is a business issue, not a technical issue. All of that work is, is taking hold and they are starting to view the CISO now as part of their business leadership team as they uh, make sure that they're conducting their fiduciary responsibilities to secure the information of the organization. So yes, it's very much a segue from technical expert to business leader. And I think our CISOs have to be responding to that change. So, Frank, I want to ask you uh, a particular question here. So one of the things that you quoted during the roundtable discussion was from the NTT Global Threat Intelligence Report. Uh, and that, that, that uh, is that there's been a 350% increase in ransomware in recent years. And yet we still have 32% of business with no tested incident response plans. So how can we resolve that? So, geez, Nick, that's a great uh, a great thing to bring up here. That 350 percent in, uh, increase in ransomware is an increase not in the kinds of ransomware we're seeing, but in the instances of ransomware affecting organizations. When we dig deeper and look at the types of ransomware that are taking hold, what we're seeing is a significant percentage of those are still. WannaCry and Locky, which are two of the tried and true ransomware uh, threats that have been identified for some time. What, what that says to us is that organizations are slow to implement some of the changes that are required in an organization in order to prevent those types of ransomware. 
And further, when those types of ransomware hit, organizations don't have a pre-developed and tested incident response plan. So they're left making decisions on the fly. You know, how do you, how do you make a, a really tough decision about a complex technology environment related to protecting pieces and parts of your organization's strategic information. How do you make those at, you know, three o'clock in the morning on a Thursday uh, when your technical experts and leaders may not be readily at your disposal? The key point there, and, and you, you mentioned it, Nick, in your question, is not to have an incident response plan, but to have a tested incident response plan to work through tabletop drills or some sort of testing protocol so that responses to situations, certainly not all, but many of the situations that one might encounter become uh, operationalized from a playbook, from something that has been pre-developed. I think that's how you you address those kinds of uh, disconnects. John, your your group sees some of this stuff on an everyday basis. Is, Is that kind of what you expect also? I think that's absolutely right on point, Frank. And and, and the short answer is yes. We're seeing uh, seeing that throughout our business, uh, specifically as we deliver services to our our healthcare clients. We're we're finding that the the planning, general planning of incident response, that the planning itself is not being done nor is it being executed, I think it's the overall issue. So a lot of our delivery of services around incident response is really helping them get a plan in play and then having helping them get it tested where they're doing tabletops, uh, et cetera. So uh, right on point. Quick question for you, John. Um, we discussed M&A activity. That was a topic that came up from a number of the attendees of the roundtable. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously, M&A and the, being a particular challenge when it comes to dealing with the security posture there. Um, I mean, again, from your first-hand experience in this kind of space, what, what's the best way to address that? Yeah, so um, let me let me sort of uh, caveat it a little bit uh, as it relates to why they were asking the questions. There's, there, there appears to be, uh, you know, a consolidation of, of healthcare services and, and consolidation of activity where, uh, healthcare companies are buying specific niche players in, in certain areas of the healthcare um, solutions um, or systems, whether that be payer or delivery of the services itself, et cetera. So there's consolidation going on. So when you talk about M&A, when you're, when you're actually the CISO in charge, the effect that they were, that, that the participants in the uh, round table brought up was how, how do, how do we get what is important to look at as part of the MSA activity versus having the M&A close and all of a sudden we have all these now brand new uh, security vulnerabilities that are coming at us because we didn't do a good job in um, researching and, and assessing what that target acquisition or target company uh, was really all about as it relates to security controls, uh, vulnerabilities, mechanisms, etc. And so that's sort of the, the pretense of the question. So the best way to address that really is to um, establish a representative that sits on the M&A team. In smaller company, that's difficult, obviously, because uh, the security team and, and usually the CISO or 
whoever the senior security person has got a whole lot on their plate already. But I, I suggest to you that you still have to take on uh, assigning somebody to participate on that M&A team so that they can bring up the idiosyncrasies of the security issues to that M&A team as they're doing their process of due diligence. Uh, and I think it's important. So short answer is you got to have somebody on that team and you got to figure out a way to uh, ha convince your, your C-level team, your executive team, to get somebody on that team to provide advice. Um, the example that I think we talked through at the roundtable was really around the cost uh, that you have when you acquire a, a company or merge a company into yours that uh, their sec security controls or technologies are behind the curve or are, are so old or legacy that they have to be replaced. Those costs were never figured into the acquisition uh, cost itself. And so now you're faced with um, a, a connecting those systems and connecting that, uh, that uh, server or, or, or storage or whatever it is to your environment and introducing another attack vector through vulnerabilities that you weren't prepared for. So that is a real challenge to these guys and gals um, in, in healthcare as it can, the industry consolidates. Uh, Frank, anything to add on that? Yeah, John, uh, you know, just a couple of comments. Yes, I agree with everything. Um, really, there's two aspects as you begin an M&A activity related to security that I think of. One is the due diligence phase, as you mentioned. A lot of effort needs to go in there to assess the alignment of the relative security plans. And the other is making sure that you have the resources and the time to operationalize any changes that are needed in the environments as a result of that due diligence. Well, and gentlemen, just one final question, and I'll, I'll go with Frank first. So what did you get out of the discussion? You know, Nick, the, the two, two things I think that I heard uh, that were resounding with me, one of them is that the uh, CISOs that we spoke with at the roundtable, who were, by the way, very open and sharing, um, they are facing a, a cohort of problems that are significantly similar to each other's. At very few points in the conversation did I hear someone say, gee, that's not true in my organization. So, you know, it, it, there's a we're all in this together feeling as we look at the overlay of the technology issues, the business issues, the security issues, the funding issues. That, that, that I think is one thing, that it's a, a common set of issues. The second is that uh, as as John mentioned a little while ago, these are well-tuned, well-positioned leaders, people who have backgrounds from law to technology to healthcare leadership. Uh, the, the days of the, uh, the techno-weenie CISO, I, those are gone. And I think that change has begun in earnest in our industry, and it's, it's great to see. Those are a couple of my thoughts, Nick. Okay. And um, John, yourself? Yeah, I, I echo Frank's comments. I would add other one other uh, area of concern that I think is starting to emerge that I heard uh, from the individuals. And I want to reiterate the, the caliber of people that we're talking about moving into the, these positions is extremely high. 
and, and the, the, the business acumen, I think, uh, is, is evident in, in the change of, of the people's views towards the CISO position. But one of the things that came up is, is really around resources and just the, the very strategic uh, issue about lack of, of resources, availability of resources, and the individual CISOs competing for the same resources in the region. So that came up. And, and so, you know, with, with, you know, 1.2, I think last account in October, 1.2 million security professionals. And I'm not talking about sales or, or other divisions of, of information security, just the practitioners, 1.2 million jobs open in, in uh, the U.S. alone, 4.5 um, in, in globally. That's a concern for them. So they're, they're, we talked about how to influence that locally with colleges and integration. So I think that's on their mind of how they're able to maybe grow their own or at least make a debt in, in uh, resource availability, which brings, uh, of course, to the point, when do you make a decision to engage in, in an outsourced activity of some type, depending on how large the company? So I think that was also uh, top of mind a little bit at least from a decision-making perspective. When do, when do you make that decision? So um, I think that was another uh, area that we uh, had uh, heavy uh, discussion about. Yeah, very good. Well, John and Frank, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. Like you said, it was very candid, I thought, very open. And I think that the caliber of attendees was um, extremely good. I mean, it was, again, a, a real conversation amongst peers who are influencers in the security space around healthcare. So I, I enjoyed it. So that's John Petrie of NTT Security, Frank Negro of NTT Data, and for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.